from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't like who I could. not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, August 11th. Big win for the Mariners yesterday. Double digit kind of win. 10 to 2, beating the Texas Rangers in their brand new ballpark yesterday. Kyle Seeger continues to love hitting in Texas. Hit a grand slam yesterday. Kyle Lewis, Dylan Moore also homering in that game. Demo off to a really hot start, as is, of course, Rookie of the Year candidate Kyle Lewis. But exciting night for Justin Dunn as well. On the mound, recording his first Major League win a night after Justice Sheffield tallied his. We'll hear from Dunn. We'll hear from Scott Service on positives from that game and really getting their offense going. We also have a couple of moves for the Mariners yesterday that we want to inform you of. The Big Ten expected to make a decision on its college football season today. Dig into the details of that, plus the rare heart condition that could be linked with the coronavirus and why it might be fueling concern among Power 5 conference administrators about football and the viability of having it this fall. The Pac-12 also scheduled to meet today, so we'll discuss all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. The stretch and the pitch to Calhoun. Swing and a line drive to first, and it's caught by Evan White, and this ball game is over. The Mariners win it, and Justin Dunn picks up his very first win in the big leagues with a 10-2 win over the Rangers here in Texas at their new ballpark. Mariners winning 10-2 Monday night in their first game at the new Texas ballpark, snapped the Rangers' three-game winning streak. As I mentioned, Kyle Seeger with a huge grand slam. Kyle Lewis and Dylan Moore also homering. And Justin Dunn recording his first major league win a night after Justice Sheffield tallied his. Scott Service on the positives they have to keep building up. It was a fun game. Again, uh, a lot of guys contributing. Everybody feels good. You start building some momentum. And we needed a game like this. We haven't had one this year. So where everybody could, you know, can't wait to get back to the park tomorrow. And, and that's what you want with, with the young guys. And, again, keep building on what we're doing here. Uh, the Rangers looked like they might be in control in that game yesterday. They took the first lead of the game in the bottom of the first uh, RBI triple for Willie Calhoun. He ended up tallying all of their runs or being responsible for all of their runs yesterday. But Dylan Moore uh, continuing his hot start with an RBI single to tie things up 1-1 in the top of the third. The payoff. Swinging it's lined into right field for a base hit. And Dylan Moore continues to produce runs for the Mariners. Daniel Vogelback comes down the line from third and scores. And with two outs, Dylan Moore has tied this game at one in the third inning. Uh, Texas taking back the lead 2-1 to one in the bottom of the third. But then Kyle Lewis breaking it open a bit. Put the Mariners up 4-2 with his fourth home run of the year. A three-run shot to center field. The 0-1 pitch to Lewis on the way. Breaking ball, swing, and a fly ball deep into left center field. Going back on the run as Solak to the wall. Reaches up, and this one is gone. Goodbye, baseball. Kyle Lewis with his fourth home run of the season. Holy smokes, drives in three. And the Mariners now have the lead 4-2 to two over the Texas Rangers. RBIs number 11, 12, and 13 on the year for the kid from Snellville, Georgia. What a start for Lewis. 
Dylan Moore also itching for some more RBI. He had a single driving in a run in the top of the set. Here's the pitch. He swings and grounds it up the middle. It's into center field for a base hit. Lopes rounds the bag at third and scores. Crawford advances into second. Dylan Moore wasting no time. Jumping on the first pitch. He drives in his second run of the night. And it's 5-2 Mariners in the sixth inning. Seager also clearing the bases with a, a huge grand slam uh, behind the right field wall for his fifth career slam. One. Swinging a high fly ball, carrying out to right field. Gallo is back, leaping, gone, grand slam, Kyle Seager. The fifth of his career, and Kyle Seager brings them all home. He has blown this game open in the sixth inning. It's 9-2 to two Mariners. Moore already had the pair of RBI singles, but that wasn't enough for him. He also wanted to get in the home run party. The 2-2 to Dylan Moore. He swings and shoots this to center field. Solak racing back, watching, and this is gone. It bangs off the base of the batter's eye. What a smash by Dylan Moore. That's the first bomb in this new ballpark out to straightaway center field. One he will not soon forget. That leaves a dent. Dylan Moore has homered in back-to-back games. It's 10-2 Mariners in the seventh. And I missed home run calls. Goldie missed your home run calls. Scott Service on Dylan Moore putting together some great at-bats yesterday. Yeah, he smoked that ball. And to have it carry like that down here, big, big ballpark. Uh, you know, really nice to see Dylan had really good at-bats tonight. I know we're talking to him. Not so much about his swing. His swing mechanics are really good. It's just approach and understanding and his field to hit and what teams are going to do to him. And, you know, he really did a nice job of slowing things down tonight and, and got good pitches to hit and laid off a lot of close ones as well. Service also mentioning that his stellar hitting as of late has been a little bit contagious at the clubhouse. And it rubs off, and, and uh, you know when everybody's contributing like that, you feel like you're you're helping, you're part of something. You know, Evan hit the ball down the line. Uh, you know, a couple of great plays, third base made on the line, a backhand side to us tonight. But uh, you know, Daniel got a knock tonight too. I'm not calling him bogey anymore. It's now Daniel. And uh, I started the Daniel thing. He got a hit, so maybe that'll shake him up a little bit. Well, big night for Daniel. He got a double. Got to go full first name now. Okay, Daniel. The first season for the Rangers playing in Globe Life Field, no longer Globe Life Park, because this $1.1 billion new park in Arlington, Texas, is their new home. The retractable roof was opened uh, during a game for the first time yesterday. The temps, uh, as you can imagine, bumping up pretty toasty temperatures up near 100, so the heat perhaps helping the ball carry a little bit. The Mariners' three home runs, though, were only one fewer than opponents had hit overall in the first eight games there. Everybody in their lineup had a hit yesterday, and the 10 runs were the most by any team. Only twice before had there been a combined 10 runs in a game there. Now, small sample size, of course, but Texas has five homers at home. Uh, Gibson, Kyle Gibson out on the mound, allowed four runs and nine hits for Texas in four and a third's frames. Meanwhile, Justin Dunn limiting Texas to two runs over six innings for the first uh, for his first big league victory. So congrats to Justin Dunn. It was a day after Justice Sheffield, another of the Mariners youngsters in that rotation, won for the first time. And Dunn uh, was actually asked about that, uh, said that he couldn't have him the whole uh, moment for himself, that uh, he had to get in on that as well. Justin did mention um, that it was a grind for him that entire outing. And we saw, again, some first inning struggles for him, the pitch count getting up high there. But said that he worked himself out of it. A very positive move forward.
yeah, that, that whole outing for me was a grind. I didn't really – fastball didn't feel like it had much life. Um, breaking balls were kind of spinning early, and a lot of that was just uh, competing and, and letting my defense work. Um, but Scott Service mentioning that afterwards, it was great to see him use his run support to his advantage. You know, you have to watch the game, obviously, and, you know, it was one of those nights, you know, he had enough pitches to work with. Do we kind of let him go and try to work through some of those jams? That's how you learn, and you're not always going to be successful – young guys, but learning along the way. And what it can do if they get through, it's a huge confidence boost. You know, he, he made a big pitch to, to Joey Gallo uh, for the punch out tonight after Gallo seemed like he was right on everything. And, you know, he put a nice sequence together and, and, and made a pitch. And, you know, going back out for the sixth, you know, after we had the ta- add-on runs, it was, it was awesome. Really nice to see. Service also saying on some improvements that need to be made in that first inning. First inning started off a little rocky again, you know, and he's, he's we got to, Try to smooth that out a little bit. It's eating up big in his pitch count. Fortunately, I think he threw about six pitches in the second inning. So it kind of started to balance it out. And then, you know, he, he did get some more contact swings early in the count, which helped him keep the pitch count in check. But, you know, we still got things to work on. Certainly the first inning was a little shaky again, but uh, really happy for him. Uh, it's big, big confidence boost for these young guys to get that first W. Justin Dunn on those struggles in the first, but using run support to his advantage. It's good. I mean, again, that was good. <laughs> A couple barrels, uh, helped me get through everything, but just kind of went into compete mode, um, trusting my stuff. And uh, even though I was like, where did you go? Did you go to a dark place? And I just kind of went into a boxing ring and I was going to go down throwing haymakers. Um, and it was my chance to, to get the win. And I saw the finish line. So I uh, just tried to dig deep and, and give every little last bit that I had. Just excited for Justin, too, saying it was a dream come true. And then also, uh, who was he going to call on the phone immediately after getting his first major league win? Uh, my dad will probably be the only one that's awake. My mom, she passed out as soon as the game was over. She uh, she had to take a nap in the middle of the day to stay up. It's, it's tough for them, but I'll talk to them tomorrow. <laughs> it's okay. I understand having to take a little nap in the day. Uh, other notes from that game yesterday. Kyle Lewis has a 13-game hitting streak in road games dating back to last season. Multiple hits in the last six. And Kyle Seeger, remember how he loves hitting in Texas, and especially, well, now at the new Globe Life Field. Seeger has 103 RBI and 154 career games against the Rangers, one of only three Mariners and 16 players overall with 100 RBI versus Texas. He has 29 homers and 101 runs. So continues his streak of loving to hit in Texas against the Rangers. A quick few updates for the M's as well. Right-handed reliever Carl Edwards Jr., the veteran, was put on the 10-day IL with a right forearm strain. He last worked Wednesday, pitching a second day in a row to get his first save since 2016 when he was a rookie with the Chicago Cubs. Uh, And a corresponding move, the team recalled pitcher Brian Shaw, also claiming right-handed pitcher pitcher Brady Lale off waivers from the Chicago White Sox and designating infielder Patrick Wisdom for assignment. Up next for the M's, uh, it will be Marco Gonzalez, a battle of the lefties on the mounds. He'll go for his third win in a row. Meanwhile, Mike Miner uh, will be who the M's uh, are facing in the batter's box. Up next on the Blitz, the Big Ten expected to make a big decision on college football season today. What are the issues still on the table and why did they get some pushback on their latest rumored decision? It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, August 11th. 
We heard over the weekend that Seahawks wide receiver John Ursua was the first uh, team member to be placed on the COVID-19 list. Now, remember that this doesn't necessarily mean that you've had, uh, excuse me, that you've tested positive for COVID-19. You could also have come into contact with someone uh, who has had had COVID-19, as is the case we heard earlier with Gardner Minshew. But John Ursua was speaking on this and explaining what happened uh, with his test. You know, I get the news late late um, that night at like 12 o'clock that I tested positive. I'm kind of concerned, um, thinking that, you know, I'm going to be quarantined for the next 12 to 14 days. And then come come yesterday um, and uh, my test results come back and it's negative. And so how the league is running things is uh, right after you test a positive, we, you immediately do two tests if you get two negatives then it, it was a false positive test. But if you get one positive out of the next two, then you know you got to be have that 14-day quarantine kind of deal. But uh, it's just been a crazy experience. So he said he tested positive but then had a negative test and is awaiting the third test results. Uh, also mentioning that he was very surprised he tested positive because he's been living in a bubble. We're not, we're not exactly like the bubble, but we kind of treat everything as if it is where um, you know, our food is delivered to us. We only get to go to the facility and, and come back to the hotel. We do all our meetings here at the hotel, you know, where they try to keep us out of restaurants, out of closed off areas. And so they're doing a great job. And so when I got the news, I was like, man, what? How, like I was the first one on the Seahawks to get it. And so and the only one so far, you know, I, I guess I've been hearing a lot about how there's a lot of false positives out there. And so I was just kind of crossing my fingers, hoping everything would be okay. Meanwhile, in the college football world, a lot of news coming over the last 48 hours. The Big Ten expected to make a decision today on its college football season. League presidents are considering pushing back the start of the season to September 26th or postponing it to the spring, according to ESPN's report. President expected to meet at 7.30 a.m. Pacific time today. They're still considering uh, becoming the first Power Five conference to postpone fall sports, but they've got a lot of pushback uh, from apparently or their athletic directors who reportedly are pretty reticent to push the season back to the spring and would like the option of at least delaying the start of the season. The most likely option does seem to be pushing it back um, uh, or postponing until the spring. They could wind up somewhere in between in the middle by delaying laying kickoff deeper into the fall. Uh, now, it's another pivot for the conference under first-year commissioner Kevin Warren. Last Wednesday, the league uh, announced its 10-game conference-only schedule beginning on Labor Day weekend, so they seemed pretty confident in their ability to play. The model that they released even allows for opening games on the weekend of September 3rd and 5th to be moved to September 12th, September 19th, or September 26th through something they called strategic sequencing. All five Power Five conferences announced their scheduling models for the fall last week, but the Big Ten presidents reconsidered moving forward during a meeting over the weekend, and it happened uh, pretty rapidly. Multiple sources telling ESPN that the majority of Big Ten presidents indicated that they would vote to postpone the football season, hopefully to the spring, but further conversations with their athletic directors Monday have created some pushback on that theory. So we'll await hearing some news on that today. 
a rare heart condition that could be linked with the coronavirus is a big part of a new wave of concern among Power Five conference administrators about the viability of college sports this fall called myocarditis. It's an inflammation of the heart muscle and has been found in at least five Big Ten conference athletes and among several other athletes in other conferences, according to ESPN. Condition is usually caused by a viral infection, including those that cause the common cold, H1N1 flu, or mono. Left undiagnosed and untreated, it can cause heart damage and sudden cardiac arrest, which, of course, can be fatal. It's a rare condition, but the COVID-19 virus has been linked with myocarditis with a higher frequency than other viruses. Now, granted, this is based on limited studies and, at this point, anecdotal evidence. Since the start of the pandemic, people can reportedly get myocardial myocardial inflammation, feel fine, and never know it. But medical professionals advising that most athletes who get myocarditis will be able to safely return to sports after a restriction of activity for three to six months. But in some cases, the inflammation can turn to scar tissue and put the patient at risk for an irregular heartbeat that can lead to sudden cardiac arrest, which can be triggered by exercise. So obviously the concern has uh, made the bar higher for returning to fall sports. According to Dr. Jonathan Dresner, he's the director of the University of Washington Medicine Center for Sports Cardiology and a sports medicine physician who advises the NCAA on cardiac issues. And he said this has raised the bar for returning to fall sports. The Mid-American Conference, after receiving medical reports about this condition and other problems associated with COVID-19, was the first FBS conference to postpone fall sports on Saturday. But we could still see more follow suit. As I mentioned, Big Ten having their meeting today. Up next on the Blitz, we also got to hear from a lot of coaches and a lot of players who have different opinions about this, including we got to hear from Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner yesterday. We heard from Dabo Swinney, Clemson head football coach, that uh, he wants to play no matter what. And we also got to hear from Trevor Lawrence. What did they have to say? It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, August 11th. Never hurts to have blue scholars when you're waking up in the morning. A lot of news in the college football world, and we'll hear from a couple of notable players and coaches here in a minute. But ESPN college football reporter Reese Davis joining Tom, Jake, and Stacey yesterday to discuss the latest news in the Power Five. Reese, do you think that there's an error that's been made or some kind of omission in action along the way that's led us to this point? Or do you think that where we are right now is inevitable? Uh, I mean, I think it depends on what you mean by where we are. Uh, I'll answer it this way. Um, No one can control the virus. We don't have, we can mitigate it, but we can't control it. We don't have a, we don't have a, definitive treatment we don't have certainly don't have a definitive vaccine right now so there are certain things that are inevitable in terms of dealing with it we also have no guarantee that that will ever happen we may have to learn how to function as a society for a much longer period of time while dealing with the threat of of this virus that said uh, i do think that it would have helped the conferences had the ncaa a little earlier given some guidelines but it's also very important. I think this is really misunderstood. The NCAA doesn't, it's not under their purview to tell, you know, the Southeastern Conference or the Pac-12, everybody is you can't play. Uh, 
you know, that they can, you know, they can say that if you choose to proceed, proceed, these are best operating practices. These are the requirements in terms of being in compliance with us that we'll, that we'll need from you to play. All of those types of things I think would have been helpful to the conferences. And so I don't, I don't really think, I, I think it is fair criticism to say that the NCAA should, uh, should have given earlier and more definitive leadership in this regard. But I, I would, I would stop short of saying that if only they had done that, we would not uh, be on the cusp of uh, the Big Ten and, and uh, perhaps the Pac-12 deciding not to have a fall season. So, Reese, was was this, just very uh, simply put, was this a fundamental breakdown of the NCAA as an institution to not come out and give those guidelines right away to help uniform all of the Power Five conferences and other conferences that were trying to, in in your words, mitigate um, this you know this spread of of COVID on campuses. Well, look here. Here's the thing. I would I would say that it was a a significant misstep in leadership. Now that said, I am intimately familiar. Uh, to the point that I have a son who is an athlete, not in football, but a Power 5 program, and I cannot fathom and ask him the same, cannot fathom one other thing that uh, that his school could possibly be doing uh, in order to try to protect the players. So even with the guidance of the commissioners individually in response to their uh, their local health guidelines and how the pandemic has affected different areas of the country at different times, um, the schools with which I'm intimately familiar have, have done exhaustive things to try to, to try to mitigate the spread. So I'm not sure that direction from the NCAA perhaps could have helped people get a head start and perhaps promoted some uniformity. But it's also true that because of the different impact that, uh, that the virus has had at different times in different regions, that that may not have been feasible. Uh, you know, that may not have been something we could say, here are uniform guidelines. You must do it exactly this way. That might not have been best practice in, in a particular area of the country. So I'm not willing to, I, I guess the short, the short way to say that is this. The NCAA has significant failings. Everybody loves to jump on them and pile on them. And they have, they have made some missteps. They have shown lack of leadership in many, in many cases. And I think that they were slow in showing leadership here. But I'm not sure that even had they sent out uh, best practices, that in the many cases uh, that I'm familiar with and the programs that I'm familiar with, I'm not sure what more they could have required. In fact, most of these most of these uh, protocols and programs that I know uh, far exceed anything that that you know you could uh, you could draw up. I think. Pac-12 officials are expected to meet later today to discuss the viability of fall sports, including, of course, football and the voice of Husky football, Husky men's basketball as well. Tony Castricone joining Bob, Dave and more yesterday to discuss the latest news. Hey, Tony, what are you hearing? Because it sounds for all the world that they're canceling the season tomorrow. We're going to find that out. Uh, Pac-12 canceling the season. I was hoping it was going to be a postponement and that maybe they would reconsider playing in the winter and spring. Uh, What are you hearing? Uh, to my earlier point, I'm not hearing much from the inside because I'm not really on the inside with um, the way that everything's kind of structured right now. That said, um, you know, it seems to me the thing that's flipped this has been the recent discovery of the link with myocarditis 
And I, I don't, I don't know, you know, look, I'm, I'm by no means anywhere close to it. Uh, look, I barely got a journalism degree, right? Like, I mean, I, I scratched and clawed for that journalism degree. So I'm not trying to make any medical uh, proclamations, but it seems like that's the concern that has been recent that has gotten people to recently think about whether or not they need to punt this into the spring. And so, um, trying to get more information about that may be the determining factor as to whether or not they go for it this fall or whether or not they play in the spring. But, you know, I, I just think that there's a, there's a groundswell and there's a sentiment among a lot of people uh, in the, in the coaches and the players that they want to give this a shot. And, um, you know, again, going back to what I said at the beginning, I just hope that that is a new data point that is strongly taken into consideration. Tony, hypothetically, if they did push it to spring and they start the season there, then you're looking at two football seasons in one calendar year. Physically, just it it feels like a tall order because, you know, you talk about it is an incredibly physical sport. A lot of injuries need that that offseason to heal and and all of that. What, what would you think about that? Just the physical demand of two seasons in one calendar year? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how. Look, obviously, spring ball is not is not you know competitive to the point where um, you know you're swapping paint on on Saturdays and, and playing for a conference championship. But also, guys are going for positions. Like, I mean, they're not they're not not hitting in the spring. So, uh, yeah, there would be a different level to it, and it certainly would throw things out of rhythm. But I think one of the things that none of us can afford to do is is hold or, or cling too tightly to our rhythms and our traditions and all that stuff now because we, we all need to be a little bit flexible, right? I mean, I think we're, we're all being asked to do that in certain ways. I mean, you know, I, I was driving down the road the other day with my wife and, and I was just, we, we passed like a, a jazz club and I was thinking like, man, when was the last time I heard music coming out of one of those places? Like, you know, it, it's just such a weird time right now, and it's hard on everybody. But I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the answer is if it would be too much on the body, maybe you just have a seven or eight game season in the spring. Uh, I would leave that up to the experts to decide. But I would think that given the, the history of putting yourself through something every single spring, I would think it's at least something that could be taken into consideration. The voice of the University of Washington Huskies, Tony Castricone, has been our guest here with Bob, Dave, and Mora. That full interview is available for you online, 710sports.com. Coming up next on The Blitz, we'll hear from more coaches and more players around the college football world, including Trevor Lawrence and Dabo Swinney. Also, Major League Baseball mulling the idea of holding its postseason in a bubble-type format, but because of the amount of teams, it would have to look a little different. I'll explain. Also, a big win for the Seattle Storm yesterday, and we finally get an explanation, at least according to Ramon Laureano, about why that fight broke out, the comment that he heard from Alex Cintron that tipped it off. It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines studio. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go!
Are you going to be missing Jason Witten in the Monday Night Football booth? Most likely, the answer to that question is no. But he explained why he decided to leave it recently in a press conference. I try to live in the moment and you know, make decisions with the most accurate information I can gather. And I think that was a unique opportunity. And felt like I was confident in making that decision and had a really good experience there in the booth. But more than that, I just I felt like I had more to give. You know, I have a tremendous passion and love for the game of football, especially at this level. And I knew fairly early in that process, you know, that once this game's gone, it, you know, it move on. And it's a young man's game. And I certainly realized that. Also on why he decided to join the Raiders. You know, it's not the young team. I'm excited to join them. Uh, when you get to this age, it's all about the fit and the role. And it made a lot of sense for me. So, you know, Dallas will always be such an important part of my career. And it's been 16 years somewhere. You know, I always have special moments there. But on this business, you got to find the right fit and opportunity. And it made a lot of sense here in Vegas. Major League Baseball has had some preliminary discussions about holding its postseason in a bubble-type format. The league has seen how COVID-19 outbreaks in baseball have impacted teams like the St. Louis Cardinals and the Miami Marlins. Cardinals still only five games under their belts as of now and caused a lot of regular season scheduling difficulties because because of those issues. So could this end up happening in the playoffs, disrupting the playoff schedule? MLB uh, also does have to consider that a fully contained bubble like the NBA setup at the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando would be difficult for them to replicate, but a multi-city format that sort of what the NHL's approach has been in Toronto and Edmonton, Alberta, uh, that idea has gained some traction according to ESPN's Jeff Passan. Because of MLB's expansion to 16 playoff teams, though, the league would need at least three hub cities to complete its wildcard round before shrinking to a two-hub city format for the division series. The league championship series and world series could be held at one or two stadiums. Remaining in one metropolitan area would allow teams to avoid air travel and perhaps remain at a single hotel and quarantine for the entire postseason, which is scheduled to begin on September 27th. A huge uh, candidate in this would be Southern California, although the greater Chicago area and the New York metropolitan area are high on the list of potential hubs as well because the amount of available stadiums. But Southern California, around that time of year, the weather is still pretty nice. So perhaps the biggest favorite to host the entire postseason down there. Discussion still very much ongoing. Currently, MLB plans to hold its postseason with home games across the country, but could be looking to eliminate the uncertainty surrounding travel and uh, just safety, health and safety concerns moving forward. The Seattle Storm beat the Chicago Sky 89 to 71 yesterday to move to 8 and 1 this season. Brianna Stewart, 25 points, 7 assists, and 5 rebounds for Stewie. Stewart looking for help. Much better D on her in this third than in that first half. Stewart's three is good. Brianna Stewart with hands galore in her grill. Don't matter. Congrats to the Storm, though. Eight and one already this year. Houston Astros hitting coach Alex Cintron reportedly made a pretty vile comment to Oakland Athletics outfielder Ramon Laureano regarding his mother. And that is what prompted Laureano to charge the Astros bench on Sunday, leading to the fight that we know now, or at least we can predict, will result in some lengthy suspensions. Uh, after being hit by a pitch for the third time in the series, the second time in the game, Laureano did uh, sort of imitate how to properly throw a slider and snap off a slider uh, to pitcher Umberto Castellanos. And that prompted a response from the Astros bench. Laureano said that Cintron uttered an expletive at him, which Laureano returned. 
Then he told ESPN, uh, Loriana did that Cinturon said in Spanish something you don't say about my mother. Uh, following the exchange of words, Cintron, as you can see on the replays, stepped out of the first base dugout and motioned for Loriano to come at him, was waving his arm. Loriano then ran towards Cintron, who stayed behind Astros players as Loriano was tackled and the benches for both teams emptied. Cintron reportedly denying talking about Loriano's mother, but also declining to detail what, in fact, he did say in that instance. Astros manager Dusty Baker on the fact that he believes harsh words can happen in the heat of a moment. I've chirped at players before myself. Uh, or guys always say, well, is it inappropriate for, for a coach to chirp at a guy? Uh, are you supposed to just sit there and take it too? You know, I mean, you know, uh, it's in the heat of the moment. You know, we're all men out there, you know, you know, with high pride and anxiety and everything else. So, I mean, these things happen. Uh, when you're on a baseball field. I mean, everybody wants you to just control your temper, which you should, but sometimes things flare out of control. Man, I just feel like Dusty's having to apologize a lot for other people this year. It's just the Dusty Baker apology tour. Kyle Kuzma hit a three-pointer with .4 seconds left yesterday as the Lakers beat the Denver Nuggets 124 to 121 Monday night to snap a three-game losing streak. Four seconds remaining. Falls into Anthony Davis. Looks like Davis hands it to Kuz. Three for the win. He got it! Kyle Kuzma hit the three. There are .4 remaining in the game. And unless the Nuggets pull off a miracle... Kyle Kuzma's just beat him. 23 in the game for Kuz, and what a night for him. LeBron James threw an inbounds pass to Anthony Davis, who flipped it to Kuz on the right wing for the game winner as the clock ran down. Shout out to Michael Bumpus. I'm sure he was happy watching the end of that game. The Lakers had been outplayed down the stretch by Denver's bench, but got 29 points and 12 assists from James, who hit two three-pointers in the fourth quarter. Anthony Davis adding uh, 27 points. And Kuzma, uh, 25, on his game-winning shot. I think uh, Jesus could be in front of me, and I'll probably still shoot him. So, I mean, <laughs> it don't really matter to me. Just uh, got an open look. It's a play that we kind of ran and practiced a few times you know, prior to the restart. And, you know, coach had faith in me and just called call my number, and I you know, paid off. Big Ten is expected to meet uh, school presidents as, as, long as, as well as athletic directors Excuse me, this morning at 7.30 a.m. We heard yesterday that they plan to announce their decision to cancel the season coming up on Tuesday, but they've had some pushback from athletic directors reportedly, and so further discussions happening today. We could hear that news break. We also heard a lot of responses from college coaches, not just within that conference, across other conferences, because if one Power 5 conference cancels, it could be that the dominoes fall quickly in place. Dabble Swinney, uh, Clemson head football coach, on his thoughts on possible cancellation of the season. Nobody has to be here. There's not one person that has to be here, and our entire roster's here. Our entire staff's here, our staff here. But this is, people forget, this is what we love to do, and we're doing it in the safest possible way that you can. And there's with no doubt in my mind that our players are safer here in this environment, with this nutrition, with this food, with this supervised training, with this medical care, with our prehab and, and all the things and resources that are available to them, then they are all over the country where they're not being tested every single week. They're not being tested. Their environment is not like it is here. Everything is mitigated from fans to how this building is to how we practice. Everything has been mitigated. Yes, guys can still get it. I can get it. I can't do anything to keep me from getting it. I got two sons on the team, so, but we all have to make our own risk assessment in life. It's always been that way. 
And it's no different. And again, if you could say that, hey, just cancel all this and everybody's perfectly safe, I'd be the first one saying, let's go. But that's not the case. And we all know that. And it's not going to be different in the spring. And so at some point, we have to find a way. Everybody has to make their own decision on what you want to do. And, uh, you know, I've made my decision. I have a football team that's made their decision. And, you know, hopefully people will, will respect what we want to do and, and allow us to play. Trevor Lawrence, Clemson quarterback, has been pretty outspoken on uh, both the wanting to play, but also needing certain protocols in place, joining uh, both the We Want to Play hashtags and the We Are United hashtags of college football players, wanting to feel certain health and safety protocols are in place. Uh, he spoke yesterday on why he's confident that they can make it happen. This is what we love to do. We're passionate about it. You've seen that. We've organized things really quickly to, to show how much we care about it. But also, like I said, I think we're all smart enough that this many people are making this decision to play. We feel safe. And I think with communication and a chain of command, we really can provide a safe way to play. And that's what we're doing here. And if every program can get on the same page, I just think that there's a way to do it. And we've seen that. We've been communicating with other guys from other teams. And many of them are doing it. There's some that aren't. And we just really feel like if the NCAA can talk or whatever conferences and just put a plan together and even bounce things off us, like what do we need to do to be safe? I feel like we can do it because we're here, we're safe. So that's why you're, you're hearing what we're saying. Meanwhile, Ohio State head coach Ryan Day also, uh, his reaction to Big Ten possibly canceling the season. Well, it certainly caught me off guard. Um, you know, we put the schedule out uh, last week, and um, you know, the schedule was designed to have some flexibility. And I just think that uh, you know, our job is to create the safest environment possible uh, for these young men and then uh, present it to them and, and allow the players and, and their parents and their coaches to then decide if it's safe enough. Uh, but because this, this schedule has provided uh, some flexibility, you know, I, I think that we need to uh, you know, certainly not cancel the season. And there's two different opportunities. You know, September 26th and October, the first week in October, uh, there's opportunities to start the season then, and that's the way the schedule was designed. And I think that uh, to do that right now would be a mistake. And I think we need to you know, take some time to kind of still reevaluate some of these issues. Uh, Ryan Day, Ohio State head coach, saying the decision to play should be on players, parents, and coaches. And so his message to the Big Ten is? I would say we, we, we cannot cancel the season right now. We have to, at, at the very least, postpone it and, and, and allow us some, a little bit of time to keep reevaluating everything that's going on. That's the reason why we put this schedule together, to have some flexibility. If we need to take a deep breath, let's take a deep breath. Um, but let's, let's do everything we can. We owe it to these kids to exhaust every single option we possibly can. And then we go from there. Uh, but, but doing that right now, to me right now, would be abrupt. Scott Frost, Nebraska head coach, also saying they want to do anything they have to do in order to play. We want to play a Big Ten schedule. I hope that's what happens. Our university is committed to playing no matter what, no matter what that looks like and how, how that looks. We want to play no matter who it is or where it is. So we'll see how those chips fall. We certainly hope it's in the Big Ten. If it isn't, I think we're prepared to look for other options. Field Yates also yesterday talking about how college football's impact uh, or college football schedule could impact the NFL season and, and their play. The NFL would have to ask itself, all right, we have this window of Saturday that is going to be otherwise a fairly nondescript sports day. Do we go ahead and make our schedule, you know, just as much uh, an investment on Saturdays as we do on Sundays? Now, I don't think it'll be an even split, but I do think the NFL would 
you know, be wise to tap into the additional TV window and the new revenue generated from that uh, by going to Saturday. So that, to me, is the first sort of trickle-down impact on the NFL if the college football season is canceled. Adam Schefter also mentioning yesterday the NFL will have flexibility in its schedule. I think the most likely scenario, Greeny, is Saturdays because Saturdays would be wide open and that would be a window that the NFL would have. And I think it would like to get past these other sports, the NHL, baseball, the NBA, the presidential election. Just see how things are going in its own sport with how the games are going on during a pandemic. And then... There is a window of opportunity, and as you mentioned, there is built-in flexibility with the idea that fans don't have to worry about being in Lambeau Field at 1 o'clock Eastern on Sunday because there are no fans, and they don't have to worry about hotels in a certain city. So there's all sorts of flexibility that the NFL will have at its disposal to do the best thing for the league going forward. The Mariners won 10-2 Monday night in their first game at the new Texas ballpark, Globe Life Field, snapping the Rangers' three-game winning streak yesterday. Kyle Seeger hit a grand slam, continues to love hitting in Texas. Kyle Lewis and Dylan Moore also homering. And Justin Dunn recorded his first major league win a night after Justice Sheffield tallied his. Scott Service saying they got to keep building on what they're doing. It's a fun game. Again, uh, a lot of guys contributing. Everybody feels good. You start building some momentum. And we needed a game like this. We hadn't had one this year. So where everybody can, you know, can't wait to get back to the park tomorrow. And, and that's what you want with, with young guys. And, again, keep building on what we're doing here. Why not send you out with the secret grand slam this morning? You'll want Swinging a high fly ball. Carrying out to right field. Gallo is back. Leaping. God. Grand slam. Kyle Seeger. The fifth of his career. And Kyle Seeger brings them all home. He has blown this game open in the sixth inning. It's 9-2 to two Mariners. Goldie, missed your, uh, missed your home run calls so much. So lucky we get to have him back. That's a wrap for the hot list in the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.